Roosevelt, uh, we always like to also mention uh, Juneteenth as something we celebrate here at Roosevelt that we're very, very thankful for. Juneteenth is tomorrow, June 19th. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Juneteenth, uh, Juneteenth celebrates the end of slavery in America. 1863, Abraham Lincoln gives the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, but that doesn't actually end slavery fully and practically throughout the United States. It took two and a half years until that announcement is practically realized throughout the states. So it was tomorrow, June 19th, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, Major General Gordon Granger arrives in Texas. It's the last holdout state still practicing slavery despite the Emancipation Proclamation comes with his troops and declares, you can't have slaves here anymore. <laughs> and so the slaves are free, and that sort of marks really, more practically speaking, the end of slavery in America. And so Juneteenth celebrates the end of that. Of course, to say that isn't to say that like, racism and racialized oppression ended in America uh, with uh, Juneteenth. Uh, in fact, uh, it continues, and, and I often tell people, I think racism and racialized oppression, they're like weeds in the garden of humanity. Um, we, can, we can pull them out, and we need to pull them out, but we shouldn't be surprised that they pop up in other parts of the garden in different ways, in different forms. This side of heaven, we should not be surprised by that. Hence the need for us to continually tend the garden, to recognize those are weeds that will show up because we're human beings. And so there's continual need, almost every generation, to say where is racism and racialized oppression popping up again and we need to pull out those weeds. At the same time, uh, there are milestones along the way. Um, there's occasions where we can pull out the weeds in sections of the garden and say, like, things are different and they're better. <laughs> and we have a part of the garden that at least is a lot better than it was before and a way better chance of keeping it that way. And Juneteenth is a way of saying this no longer is true in our country and we want to celebrate that. And we want to be thankful for that. Even as there's work to continue... Uh, we celebrate the ways in which God shows grace and allows significant things like that to happen. And so uh, in our prayer this morning, I always pray over the sermon, but I just want to sort of pray as well and thankfulness to the Lord for uh, the ways in which we've been able to engage in the fight against racism, racialized oppression, and pray that we would motivate us to continue in that work. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. And for opportunity to be together uh, as a community, I love this community, and I'm so thankful for uh, what's represented in this room, Lord. We um, saw the video, thankful for the men uh, who are fathers, whether biological or just act as fatherly men in the lives of others. We're thankful for that. Um, we're thankful for the time to be in your word and hear from you. But also, Lord, we're thankful for the ways in which uh, you do move to fight against an injustice like racism and racialized oppression. Lord, um, that is a particularly insidious tangle on the human heart. Um, from the very beginning, Lord, we have oppressed others based on how they look or where they're from or from their culture. Uh, it's a sin in every human heart, Lord. Um, and Lord, we recognize particularly how that sin has been manifested against black people in this country for so many generations. Um, we're thankful, though, for ways in which you've motivated and used your people, Lord, to lead the way. Have used white people and black people and all sorts of different people, Lord, Asian, Hispanic, Natives, Lord, to fight against racism and racialized oppression in significant moments in our country. And Juneteenth is a way to, to celebrate, Lord, the fact, Lord, that this isn't something we should say, well, this was going to happen anyway. Um, Lord, uh, it's a measure of your grace and, and surprising grace uh, that for so many years, Lord, for so many generations, countries have oppressed people, including our country. And there's a moment, Lord, in which something significant happened and something changed. And so we're thankful, Lord, for what Juneteenth represents. 
And also recognize, Lord, how there is work to continue, Lord, um, how we must always engage in the regular acts of confession of sin and repentance and repair, and how, Lord, you bless that, Lord, that when we really do that, change does happen, transformation happens. When we fall short of that, we confess sins, but we're unwilling to repent. When we repent, but unwilling to make things better and change it for the good, things can stay the same. But when we engage in all those practices, Lord, transformation happens. And so we're thankful for the evidence of that happening in the past and pray for how that will continue. And for the result of how that blesses all people, Lord. <laughs> how all people are blessed. No matter their race, no matter their ethnicity, no matter where they're from, all people come together as one, Lord. When we bring our sins before you and confess them and make repair in our relationships and do so through the grace you've given towards us. Lord, you showed grace towards us, even in our sin. And so we pray for how that grace would continue to manifest itself in all sorts of places, in all sorts of areas, in all parts of the garden of humanity. Lord, we say that now, looking forward to when, Lord, one day we will be fully beautiful, fully restored, uh, fully made whole, fully human, treating each other as human beings, made in your image. Um, so, Lord, we look forward to that day and pray for how we would continue to move with momentum, Lord, we pray, more momentum than before towards that moment. Um, so thank you, Lord, for what you've done among us in our world. And thank you for this time, Lord, in which we, Lord, get to get more and more be the kind of people, Lord, who can recognize sin in our lives and, and recognize what we need, that we really need you at the very center of it all. Jesus, really, at the very center of it all. It's his name we pray. Amen. Um, what do you do when you feel threatened? Um, when you feel in crisis, when you feel under attack, uh, what do you rely on? What do you depend on? If you look in the animal kingdom, there's things that they will do, things that they will go to, practices that will go to when they're in crisis, things that they'll do to help them feel stable and secure and confident. So, for example, uh, the chameleon will uh, basically uh, detach from the world, right? A chameleon is going to try to blend in into the scenery, deny who they are, they're going to hide when they're in crisis. That's what makes them feel stable, secure, confident. Um, some others, other animals, like the grizzly bear, is going to puff up. It's going to growl. It's going to raise itself up. Try to make itself look as big as it can. That's what they do to feel stable, secure, confident. Other animals, like the rhino, is going to charge. It's going to attack. Um, they're going to put their head down and charge at you. That's what's going to help them when they're in crisis, when they feel threatened. Other animals, well, they just put their stink on you. <laughs> right? That's, and it's effective. <laughs> That's what they do. They put stink on you. That's going to push you away. That helps them feel stable and secure. Now, these examples, I would argue, are not dissimilar from human beings. <laughs> uh, in various ways, we can be uh, like the bear, like the chameleon, and even like the skunk. There's habits and choices that we do, things that we rely on, we depend on to help us feel stable, secure, and confident. What I want to do this morning is explore that a little bit more. Explore the kind of practices and things that we, we tend to, to, to move towards and depend on to make us feel a certain way. And in so doing, um, I want to argue, it doesn't work quite the way we think it will. It results in things that we won't necessarily like. It results in things that affect who we are. And, and this morning, I want to sort of show what that is and suggest a better way, a better option for what we rely on to make us feel stable and secure and confident. So we're going to do that, of course, through this last story we're going to see in 1 Samuel, the story of David 
David uh, and his men have been living among the Philistines for a while. Um, it looked like uh, the price of them having shelter with the Philistines, their enemies, was that they're going to have to fight on the side of the Philistines when they go to war against Israel, their own people. And that's something that they didn't want to have to do. And fortunately, they were saved from having to do it. The Philistine commanders don't trust David, and so they send David and his men back to home, back home to their people. They don't trust that they're going to fight on the side of the Philistines. And so David and his men head back home. It takes about three days to get there. You've had to march based on the distance about 25 miles a day. So they're tired. They're eager to see their families, to see their homes. But they come home to a disaster. Their homes are burned. Their families are gone been kidnapped by the Amalekites. We read this. 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and turned, taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. The David and the people who were with them raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Nuahab of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. So this is a complete disaster. And arguably, this is, this is David's fault. David is the one who said... We're under threat from King Saul. I don't know what to do. Let's go hide out in Philistine country. So that's what ends up bringing them there, what ends up making them feel, be obligated, be drafted, the men be drafted into the Philistine army. So they're away. Their homes are unprotected. And that lets the Malachites come in. And if you see the history of the Malachites in the Old Testament, they like to attack people when they're weak. And so they come when the men are gone, attack their homes, burn it to the ground, steal all the women and children. And... What makes it worse in many ways is, well, you know, you might expect, why didn't they kill them all? The reason they didn't kill the women and children is because they wanted to sell them into slavery. Which in some ways, back in the ancient world, is a fate worse than death. <laughs> to be sold, the women, you can imagine, can be sold as wives to other peoples, uh, their children, forced to serve as slaves in homes and lands they don't know. I mean, that, that thought is unbearable, <laughs> to imagine your family being sold into slavery. And so we, we read here, I mean, they're so upset. They weep until they can weep no more. That's how consumed with grief they are. And David, of course, I mean, he also has huge loss. He lost his family. But on top of that, you see there in the verses, the people now are talking about stoning him. There's going to be a revolt. David, you got us into this. <laughs> right? And so he's in crisis, clearly. He's lost his family. His home has been burned to the ground. The people in revolt, they want to kill him. And so here's the question. What's he going to do? That's the question that we began this, this morning with. What will you rely on to make you feel stable, secure, confident? What will you depend on? Let's think about that a little bit more specifically and think of the things, the options we tend to go to. With David, what he tends to rely on, we've seen, is lying and violence. Maybe that's true for some of you. When you're in crisis, you're going to lie, you're going to lie some more, and lie on top of that lie. Or you're going to be violent. Uh, you're going to be aggressive, you're going to posture. That's what you do. That's what makes you, when you're in crisis, when you're under threat, that's what makes you feel stable and secure and confident. It's lying, it's violence. That's what David has done in the past. Uh, maybe you're more like Saul. 
Saul, when he feels under threat, he needs to feel stable and secure and confident. What he does is, I need to get power. I need to get control. I'll do whatever I can to do it. So we see that throughout his, his time. That's why he goes to that medium we saw last week. He goes to which because he's like, I need power or control over the situation. I need supernatural power. So he goes to this person to try to get that. Maybe that's you. You're going to manipulate. You're going to shame. You're going to do whatever you can to get control of the situation, to get as much power as you can. What are some other things that people do uh, to make them feel stable and secure and confident when they're in crisis? What other things do people rely on? Some of you, it's relationships. Being in a relationship makes you feel a certain way. You're in crisis if you're not in a relationship of some kind. And so you're always looking for relationships, even if those relationships aren't the best. You get into them and you stay in them. Again, because in crisis, you want to feel stable and secure and confident. You look for those relationships. Others of you, you detach from the world. You move yourself away from the world. It makes you feel better to sort of just, like the chameleon, to sort of blend in and sort of just move away from the things that have been bothering you, that feel like you're in crisis. So you detach, and you detach in, in all sorts of different ways. For some of you, you detach from the world by drinking a lot. Others of you, others of you, you detach by smoking a lot of weed, right? Um, hey, I, I know it. <laughs> others of you, you detach from the world by uh, scrolling on your phone for multiple hours. Uh, others of you, you detach from the world by watching a lot more TV or playing a lot more video games. Again, you do all those things because you feel a certain way that makes you feel uncertain. You want to feel a little bit better about yourself, safety, security, confidence. And so you detach through those things that some of those things are maybe things I haven't listed. Other examples, uh, some of you, what you do is uh, you look to, to work a lot more. Uh, you look to um, make more money. Working helps you sort of just feel busy, productive. That makes you feel stable and secure. Making a lot more money, having a lot of money, that makes you feel stable and secure. Or maybe making money and then spending that money as quick as you can. That's what helps you feel that way. That helps you feel the confidence and stability that you need. These are all legit paths in the sense that, like, they'll do something for you. I'm not denying that if you smoke a lot of weed, you drink, you watch a lot of TV, you scroll on your phone, you get a lot of money, it's going to help you feel a certain way about life. That's for sure. The problem is the more you rely on those things, the things that you rely on to make you feel a certain way becomes who you are. The things you go to the most to feel stable and secure and confident become your primary characteristics. It becomes to define you. And those type of things, those kind of things in this world, if they become all of who you need to feel a certain way, it consumes you. It becomes like this black hole. It becomes entirely who you are. So, for example, the person who relies on violence and lying, what ends up happening is they become a lying, violent person just all the time. <laughs> that becomes who they are, who they become known by. Their friends know him. It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that guy's always, he's always, he's always getting in fights. He's always lying. He's always doing those type of things. That becomes who you are. It's a black hole that consumes you. And that's what you rely on to make you feel secure and stable. Uh, maybe it's relationships. Becomes in something that, like, you don't know who you are apart from being in a relationship. <laughs> it's like you, you're lost unless you are in a relationship. It becomes entirely who you are. Detaching from the world, relying on work, making money, all those things, the more you be, those become the things you rely on that define you, the more it becomes you. All of you. All of who you are. As I said this morning, I want to suggest a better way. I can't remove crisis and threat from your life, from any of our lives. 
What I can say is there are things that we can rely on that will make us feel safe and secure and confident. Things that we can rely on, a person we can rely on that won't consume you, but will actually strengthen you. And we see that from David. David's in great distress. He's in crisis. He's got the temptation to go back to the things he's done in the past. But this time is different. The rest of verse 6 says this. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. <laughs> strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let's take each of those parts that I underlined there in that verse. He strengthened himself. In other words, he gained stability and security and confidence. That's what we've been talking about here, right? What do you rely on to get strength, to get uh, security and stability and confidence? If there's one word to sum that all up, it's strength, right? What do you use to strengthen yourself? That's what we're saying here. What do you depend on to feel stable, secure, and confident? What do you depend on to make yourself feel strong and stay strong? What do you rely on to strengthen yourself in? Because that's what we're talking about here. What is it going to, what are you going to surround yourself in? What are you going to base yourself in that makes you feel strong in the midst of threat, in the midst of crisis? But here's where it all comes together, right? So what are you going to do to feel strong? In what are you going to feel strong? For David, it's this. I'm going to feel strong in the Lord my God. He strengthens himself in the Lord. It says his God. We gain strength when we depend on, first of all, God being God, being the Lord God. It's to say that there's a God, and it's the God of the Bible, and he's going to act in accordance with his name. He's going to fall through on who he says he is. And what does the Bible say that he is? He's a God who's in control. He's a God who's in charge. He's a God who falls through in everything that he says. So strength in the Lord God is strength in the fact and the belief that there is a God who's the Lord God and he's going to act in all the ways that the Lord God says that he acts. He's going to stay true to his character, to his name. This is a callback actually back to a previous chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 23. David is again in crisis because he's on the run from Saul and Jonathan shows up and it says there, same word, Jonathan strengthened David's hand in in the Lord God, First Samuel 23, verses 16, 17. Strengthen his hand in God. And how did Jonathan do that? What Jonathan did was remind David, Lord God is the Lord God. He made a promise to you that you're going to be king over all of Israel, and you can trust that he's going to follow through on that. You're going to be king is what he says. In other words, he's implying, he's saying, God follows through on his promises. So we gain strength by trusting and believing that God is God. He's going to be God. There's going to be anything less than God as compared to the other things. But let's, let's say a little bit more than that. We want to feel stable, secure, confident, strong in God. It begins by believing that God is going to be God. He's going to be the Lord God. But here's, here's the kicker in this. Here's what really brings it together. It's to believe that and trust that personally. Notice it says there in the Lord, his God, to be strong and the fact that the Lord God, he's going to be God in all the ways that he is, but not at a distance from you. He's going to be God in all the ways that he's God right next to you. That God is a personal God. Yahweh, the Lord God, he's not a distant God. He's our God. He's your God. He's David's God. He's the Lord, his God. See, this is a God I believe in. The God I believe in, I believe there's a God, and I believe he's a God who's not far away from us, sort of like, you know, just watching from down below and just sort of saying, oh, I hope things work out. <laughs> and just sort of like manipulating us from afar. I believe in a God who relates to us and comes right next to us. I believe in a God who actually became one of us in Jesus. That's how personal of a God I believe in that we have. 
Jesus is God personally being God to us. Which means to be strong in the word of God, to be strong then in faith in Jesus means he's got to become God over your life, right? That means being strong in this way to find a security and stability and confidence that I'm talking about means he comes and becomes the one you depend on, but really the only one you depend on. There's not room for other options. So that means something, right? God, he's like, he's infinite, right? He, he takes up a lot of space, right? So you can't have other parts of your life to depend on these other things, to rely on these other things, to get strength from these other things. If you're going to say, I'm going to try the God option, he's going to come in, he's going to come in through Jesus, and he's got to take that spot as Lord God over your life. You've got to give up the other stuff. He's going to come as God over your life, but also, though, it means he's God for your life. To have God over your life, yes, means, though, having God for your life, specifically and personally. Personal trust in a personal God means personal strengthening for your personal life. God is not treating us en masse. He's not like one of those big industrial farms. I don't know if you've ever seen some of those like documentaries that are going to creep you out for any kind of food you eat. But if you see any of those kind of major industrial farms that have like animals everywhere, just all herded together. Uh, farms are like they're in these little tiny cages, right? And they're just sort of treated en masse, right? There's no like individual care of animals, right? Those things are just meat to be produced and spread out throughout the world. That's not how God is like. Realize God does not treat humanity en masse. He treats humanity individually and personally. It's like God customizes himself for each person. He's fully God, right? He doesn't change who he is. But what God does is come as fully 100% God, God over your life, and then fits himself into your life to give you specifically what you need. He brings all of who he is into your life. By faith in Jesus, he comes and lives in you by his spirit to uniquely give you and strengthen you. He's a personal God for your personal life to personally strengthen you. That's why this works. Because he gives you what you need. And he gives you what you need in a way that doesn't actually consume you, but strengthens you, makes you who you're meant to be, who you're supposed to be. Each of us have our own lives and our own things going on. There's a God who wants to come in and personally be exactly what you need in the moment, in all the occasions that you face. I think there's four examples that we're going to see in the rest of our passage as we continue on here of how God does that. Personal ways in which God strengthens you, gives you the security and stability and confidence that you need whenever the crisis comes. The four that we're going to look at are he guides us, he saves us, he fights for us, and he graciously gives to us. The ways in which we see God be personal God, our God. Um, So the first one we'll see right in the next set of verses, and the last three we'll see at the end of the story. The first one. God strengthened us. He personally strengthens us by guiding us. We see that with, uh, with, uh, specifically with, with David in the next set of verses. Verse 7 of chapter 30. David said to Abathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and the 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. So David seeks the Lord's guidance. Notice this is a big difference from the last time we were with David. This is back in chapter 28. 
He's trying to decide, uh, where do I go for safety for King Saul? He doesn't talk to the Lord. He makes the decision to go and live in the Philistine country. That's a decision that led to a whole lot of other bad decisions and situations. David doesn't do that again, does he? He seeks the Lord, and the Lord strengthens him by what? By guiding him, by giving him specifically what he needs in the situation. He's like, I don't know, can we, can we catch up to these men? Will we be able to, to rescue our people? And God guides and directs and says, yes, it can happen. It can happen. You can go after them. You will overtake them. So that gives David the strength that he needs, right, to lead his people, to go after uh, the Imamlex. Uh, uh, <laughs> David sets out, we see here, and he's, not everyone's able to go on. I mean, remember, they've been on the road basically for days now. It's a hard march. His army dips down to 400. 200 stay behind with the baggage basically, while the other 400, without all the supplies they have, they continue on to try to overtake the Imamlex. So, uh, the Amalekites, I'm sorry, the Amalekites. Uh, Again, David is in a bad situation. He's got less men. He doesn't know how many uh, uh, Amalekites he's going to have to face. But remember what we read here. He's strengthened in the Lord his God. His stability, his security, his confidence is going to be in what God is doing. So he keeps going. Uh, Verses 11 to 15 tells us that they come across an Egyptian slave. Just happened to come across an Egyptian slave. We see how God is providing for them here. The slave had been abandoned by the Amalekites, left to die in the desert. They're kind to him. They give him food. They give him water. And he returns the favor. He says, I know where they are. So he leads them uh, to the Amalekites. And guess what? They're having a huge party. Verse 16. When he had taken them down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So they're thinking, we're safe. (laughs) We got this loot. We got this people we can sell and make money off of. We're going to be good. David and his men are all too happy to disabuse him of that notion. They attack. They rout the Malachites. Uh, some of the Malachites are able to flee. The rest of them are able to kill and destroy. And they get back everything that was taken. Verses 18 to 20 now. David recovered all that the Malachites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken, David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Basically, there was extra stuff because the Malachites had been doing raids all over the place. So they got back what they had in addition to some extra stuff. And because David is head of the army, it comes to him. That's why it says it's David's spoil. All the extra stuff they got is now under David's charge. Verse 21. Then David came to 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David, who had been left at the book of Besor. They went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. When David came near to the people, he greeted them. But then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. And so the stuff that that came that David's in charge of, he's going to spread out among his army. And some of the guys are like, and notice the language there. We're not going to give them anything because we recovered it. Look what we did. Notice how quickly to say it's our strength, it's our power that won this victory. They don't deserve it because they stayed behind. But David won't let them do that. Verse 23. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. 
What David reminds them is that this victory, the strength that they had in winning this battle, it didn't come from them. It came from the Lord. And here's the other three ways in which he sort of points to, just in these verses, points to how God strengthened them, right? Helped them in the midst of their crisis. The other three that I mentioned in the beginning. So we said already God strengthens by guiding us, but here David also mentions God strengthens by saving. Notice what he says there in verse 23. He has preserved us. In other words, he saved us. He kept us safe. We didn't die when we faced all these Amalekites. There's probably at least over 1,000 Amalekites. It says about like a couple of hundred fled. That means the rest they killed. That means they were definitely way more than they had as an army, Israel did. But God saved them. He, made, he strengthened them by saving them, not because of anything they'd done. God also strengthens us by fighting on our side. Notice he says there, he has given into our hand the band that came against us. That God fought this battle for us, right? That's how we won. The Malachites came into our hands and we defeated them because God did it for us. God strengthened David and that allowed, and that, that showed itself by him saving them from, the, from this fight. Or fight or by fighting on their side and helping them get this victory. The last one, God strengthens by graciously giving. Notice it says there, verse 23, what the Lord has given us. All this extra stuff that we've got. It's not ours. God gave it to us. It was graciously given us. We didn't earn it. God graciously gave it to us. And our story ends, you see here, with David saying, this is going to be the rule. Whoever's on the front lines, whoever's on the back lines, we all share in the victory. We all share equally in whatever happens. And the, the last the end part of the chapter, verses 26 to 31, shows that David extends that to all the Israelite towns that are nearby. He gives some of the spoil to the different towns that are in Israel and really, it's a setup into the next chat, into the next book of, uh, of the Bible, 2 Samuel. What David is doing by giving what they won to the different towns that are nearby is showing this is the kind of king I'm going to be. Uh, and that's a, certainly a setup because Saul dies in the last chapter of 1 Samuel. It's a setup for what happens in 2 Samuel. But for us, that ends 1 Samuel. And as we think about 1 Samuel, um, I think it's a good way for us to conclude our time here. And, it, and it's by sort of considering this, we looked at 1 Samuel for a while now, and it's been full of stories of people in all sorts of situations, various forms of crisis and threat and difficulty. And the question throughout this book is what will you do? What will you rely on? What will you depend on to make you feel stable, secure, and confident? To put it another way, to what will you get your strength? To whom will you get your strength? Once you see is there's only one answer that will work. It's the Lord God. To personally trust in the personal God who personally helps you. And this morning, I want you to understand, we can do so in a way way better than David had. That God still is in this business, personally helping us, personally being our God. But this morning, we can say, unlike David, we can know this in the form of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the incarnation of God. He is fully God come to us. And Jesus ensures that we can be personally strong in the Lord now and forever. See, unlike David, we don't have to go to a priest to consult to find out what God wants us to do. We don't have to go to a temple to figure it out. We don't have to lay out sacrifices. We don't have to do any of those things. God's still in the business of personally strengthening us, helping us feel stable and secure and confident. And he does that now all the time for us and now and forever for us. By faith in God, specifically in Jesus, we now are in him. His spirit now lives in us, which means it's like poured into your soul. It's 
the cement of heaven, right? It's the foundation of God's kingdom is locked in place. And so that we can still talk about being personally strengthened, but in a way that says you can know this is true for you and will never go away. Now and forever. Now and forever in Jesus Christ you be strong in the guidance of the Lord. Because you understand what we can do, unlike many people in the past, is we can instantly know what God wants us to do. We can pray to him. You've got this Bible. You want to know what God wants to say to you? You want to be guided and directed by the Lord? You don't got to find a priest somewhere. It's right here. In your book, in prayer, God guides in a way that past peoples would have loved to have. You can become strong in the guidance of the Lord now and forever. God now personally comes and now and forever helps us by providing his salvation to us. His salvation in Jesus. Jesus saves us and keeps you saved. What we can say by faith is that we are saved and nothing can change that. No struggle, no temptation, no problem. If you have faith in Jesus personally, you are saved in Jesus personally now and forever. You're strong in that. You can now and forever be strong in the victory of the Lord. Because of Jesus, we have someone who fights off all things that come against us. Anything that wants to take away your hope, anything that wants to threaten your salvation, that can't come against Christ Jesus. What he did on the cross proves that you can't come against this one. You can't come against him. Jesus saves us now and forever against all human and inhuman threats. We are now and forever strong in the gracious generosity of the Lord. You understand Jesus now gives us grace he gives us faith, he gives us peace, he gives us joy, he gives us love. He gives you all that you need and more. Jesus is in the habit of saying, you need some grace, let me put infinite grace for you. <laughs> right? You need a little bit of love, let me pour infinite love into your life. You need joy, let me give you infinite joy. Now and forever. That's strength. That is strength in the Lord, strength in Jesus. And you understand, that kind of strength, what it does to your life, what it does to your marriage, what it does to your family, what it does to a community, it multiplies, doesn't it? It begins to secure us and tell us there's a lot of things we're going to face, but I know what's on the other side because I know what's inside of me. I know what I have, and I know who I have and what he's going to give me. He's going to give me the guidance. He's going to give me the salvation. He's going to give me the the freedom and the victory and the generosity. He's going to give me all that I need and more to make me strong in him because he's given me Jesus. And Jesus, having come and died and risen again, tells us these are facts that remain true. It's like they've been written in the eternal stone of heaven. And it will never go away. There's a lot we have to face. The Bible calls us to rely on something. To rely on someone. We rely on God. By relying on God, we are strong in Jesus. Strong in him now and forever. That's your security. That's your stability. That's your confidence. Praise God, it will never go away. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. And thank you, Lord God, uh, for this time in, in 1 Samuel. And for what we saw and observed uh, throughout this book, Lord, uh, a lot of different examples of how to go through life. I mean, I pray, Lord, as we walk away from this book, Lord, what we take away is you can be our God. And what that means submitting to you, Lord. Uh, and I agree, Lord, that there's, there's other things that call our time and attention. 
Lord, remove those distractions, remove those barriers, help us to hear your call, especially now this morning. Your call to be the Lord God. And you've made that very clear, make that very personal in Jesus. We trust in you, Jesus, and then find strength in you in all the ways that you provide, uniquely provide to each of our lives. Lord, there's a lot of us that need individualized help. Thank you, Lord God, you're an individualized God, a personal God. And so, Lord, this morning, provide what's needed, Lord. If people need faith to trust in you, help them to trust in you. If people need guidance, they need security, Lord God, if they need victory in their life, if they need grace or hope or peace, whatever it is, provide what that needs and make us strong, strong in you. And we're thankful, Lord God, for what that means for us now and knowing what that means for us forever. We thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.